The Cupole Podcast is brought to you by the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet by ShiftCrypto.ch. If you want to save your skin and get your coins off the exchange and not suffer as many others have as these crypto exchanges are blowing up and people are losing their Bitcoin, then be wise and get yourself a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Secure your own keys on your signing device. Use the code BMS to get 5% off on all Shift Crypto products. And if you're tired of hearing these ads, you can head on over to qpaul.substack.com to listen to my podcast ad-free. Thank you. You need to embrace capitalism. It is this hope which is the lever of progress. My favorite Fed. To keep one's reactions warm and true. And they attack us because we're over there. Is to have found the secret of perpetual youth. Man, you're too pretty to be a libertarian. And perpetual youth is salvation. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Q Paul Podcast, where we say the quiet parts out loud. I'm your host, Phil Gibson, aka Mr. Sue. That is M R P S E U. You can follow me on Twitter at that handle. You can also follow this podcast and the rest of my writings and musings at qpaul.substack.com. Again, that's Q P O L, quiet parts out loud. If you couldn't tell already, this podcast is an extension of the newsletter that I started on Substack, QPOL, where I'm covering macro, geopolitics, the culture war, and the cultural revolution. And this episode will be on the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast Network feed as well as my Substack. And so I mentioned before, if you like my writing, or maybe you haven't read it yet, head on over there. Check it out and even consider supporting me so I can keep pumping out content like this. You can actually subscribe for less than what it costs you to get a blue check on Twitter. But anyway, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Again, this is an extension of my former podcast, A Boy Named Sue. And I started writing the Substack in September. And I never thought I would be a writer, but I've been able to just consolidate the latest in macro geopolitics and culture, and I just needed an outlet, but I also missed podcasting. So I wanted to get back into the swing of things, and what better way to do that than to interview uh, one man that's really influenced my thinking of the world, and just, as I've said multiple times, has turned my brain inside out and upside down. So we're going to be talking to Tom Luongo. You can find him on TomLuongo.me. That's where his blog is, and then everything else beyond that is his Patreon. But we get into the culture war and a lot of the things, monetary policy-wise, what the Fed is doing, and we hit on the geopolitics as well. So without further ado, I just... Let's get into it. There, there's not much for, else for for me to say. But again, I want to thank you all for for joining, and rate, subscribe, and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. But with all that said, I do want to give fair warning that we had to stop and start a few times because apparently Zoom makes you pay for conversations. Uh, that are longer than 40 minutes also tom's audio in part one i want to call it was a little off but we fixed everything 
and everything else from there runs smoothly. But if you want to prevent things like that from happening, you can donate some uh, smackers or shekels over to me by helping me out on my Substack. Again, you can't beat less than what it costs to get a fancy blue check mark on Twitter. But from there, it was pretty much smooth sailing. And as I like to say, own your failure, like I said on the previous show. So I'm owning up to uh, getting around tech glitches and fessing up to them. But also, as I used to say, oh, your fa- own your failure, because God knows our so-called leaders do not. And we'll get into a lot of that into this episode, which is a big white pill, I will say. So I'm going to get off my soapbox and let this conversation with uh, me and Tom just just uh, grab you by your, your brain's hand and, and frolic through through a white pill, white-pilled uh, imaginations of a better time. And I think we're also heading in that direction as well. So as always, my name's Phil, Phil Gibson. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Sue and Substack, uh, substack.com And uh, yeah, with that said, enjoy this conversation with myself and Tom Luongo. Own your failure because God knows our so-called leaders do not and enjoy. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Q-Paul Podcast, where we say the quiet parts out loud. I'm your host, Phil Gibson, a.k.a. Mr. Sue, M-R-P-S-E-U. You can follow me on Twitter at that handle. You can also follow this podcast and the rest of my writings and musings at qpaul.substack.com. That's Q-P-O-L, quiet parts out loud. My guest today is Tom Longo, returning for a third time. As I like to say, third time uh, is a charm. Best things come in threes. And it's also an honor to have you as an inaugural guest for the launch of the Q-Paul podcast. So Tom, happy to have you here. How's it going, man? How are you, Phil? How you, how you been? Uh, as you say, I breathe in and breathe out. There you go. But you got to repeat as necessary. Yeah. Only as necessary, though. Only as necessary. You don't want to get up. Like, you know, we're trying to be, you know, uh, environmentally friendly. here. We're only taking what we need from the environment. Yeah. yeah. I don't need to breathe that much, right? I'm going to... Neutralize carbon and Smoke you know, these things. I don't breathe save the farting cows, whatever. But uh, <laughs> as you like to say, we got a lot to talk about. Um, I wanted to open up the whole currency arbitrage thing that you talked about with uh, Maloney and uh, her uh, outing of the uh, debauchery and canoodling that France has been doing to South uh, or North Africa. But right. as you recently saw, uh, the there's a drop on zero hedge of now the district of New York is going after the whole FTX thing. Uh, I, I sent you some notes, but um, you know, where, where would you like to, to start with that? I, no, I, I mean, it's, I, the, it's, it's your, it's your gig, man. I'm, you take, you take me in whatever direction you want to go. And, and we, if we hit all the highlights, we hit all the highlights. So, you know, okay. I looked at the notes once. I'm like, wow, that's a long list. Do you think I actually read it? <laughs> the TLDR was there were 16 things on the list you want to talk about. Like, okay, so we're going to get the three of these. All right, got it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but as far as the, there's no, what, what you're referring to is an article just dropped at 1245 on Zero Heads. We're doing this on what, uh, around 1.30 or so Eastern time, uh, December, Friday, December 2nd. And interestingly enough, the headline is, you know, the, the SEC and prosecutors are now, you know, looking into or, or subpoenaing or whatever you want to call it, um, a lot of FTX's associates. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting headline, but that doesn't tell me anything until I find out in what district 
a federal court are we talking? And of course, it's in the Southern District of New York, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Wall Street Banks and Federal Reserve. Therefore, this is a very important piece to the story, because if they were going to sweep this entire thing under the rug, and I'm not saying they're not going to sweep most, if not all of it, they're going to sweep most of it under the rug, they would not be pressuring. This is a statement that it's the Fed and um, the New York banks are going to pressure FTX. They're not going to sweep this under the rug. They Nothing may come of this officially. We may never get a lawsuit. We may never get discovery, or we may even get a lawsuit, but we may never go to discovery, similar to Theranos and everything else that's ever happened. But you know that behind the scenes, certain people are taking a knee, certain people are getting a manila folder on their on their desk this morning, or have been getting a manila folders on their desks for the last two weeks, or certainly the last three weeks since election night, saying, you work for me now. You no longer work for them. You work for me. Or you can retire quietly, like the guy who runs the Washington office of the FBI just retired, and he's younger than I am. Happened this morning. We saw it. We saw it tweeted out on our on our Slack server this morning. I already tweeted it out and said, this is what's going on. And then I just published a post for the patrons, you know, talking about this as well. This is a big deal. This is the guy who raided Mar-a-Lago. This is the guy who prosecuted everybody post-January 6th. This is the guy who you know, created the, when he was in uh, Illinois or when he was in the, the in the Midwest office, he's the guy who created the uh, Gretchen Whitmer uh, kidnapping case. This, this, that guy just retired yeah. at the, from the FBI. Bullshit. Yeah. So basically powers that be at the Fed are just, well, the, the power, in a way. something has changed on Capitol Hill and now, Assets that have been in place for Davos and Obama at a particular, you know, in in, in in important pawns are being taken off the board. Right. And, uh, you know, when we hear that, you know, Merrick Garland, for example, has to step down because of, you know, you know, family needs, then we know that we're moving up the food chain. We're starting with this guy. Now we're going to we should continue to see people of his ilk at the DOD, the DOJ, you know, all you know, all, all across the alphabet soup agencies. We're going to see this quietly a series of uh, resi- of, of retirements. We're going to see some people in Congress resign or you know retire for for health purposes. It's going to happen. I don't know how many of these we're going to see. We'll see how many scalps get gotten, but. This is grist for the, oh, no, really, Powell and the Fed and the New York banks are up against Davos, and they're winning. That's what it says to me. I mean, it's crazy because it wasn't that much of a victory for the Republicans in midterm. I mean, Mitch McConnell basically got all of his Davos trolls elected. But it's just amazing how, I guess, effective monetary policy and everything that's downstream from that can actually get rid of these people like is that basically just what's well, happening you know again mcconnell was you know who who leaked you know two days after ftx broke who leaked the um the, the 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 picture of the 
donation to from FTX to McConnell's PAC. McConnell has now been properly publicly chastised. So do we expect to see the same Mitch McConnell that we saw before? Hmm. I don't think so. So again, who do you work for? McConnell is still in power. He's still there because now the stack of vanilla folders on one side of the ledger is taller than on the other side of the ledger. And now Mitch is going to, cocaine Mitch is going to have to, you know, suck Satan's cock, as I like to say. Uh, that's the way this that's the way this works. And I, I use that phrase on purpose. I'm not just doing it to be cute or funny or anything else, I'm, even though it is cute, funny and vulgar. It's because this is the nature of the people that we're dealing with. This is the level of this is how they talk to each other in effect. OK, this is the world they operate in. We have to stop thinking that they operate in our world. We have to think like them. We have to act like them. And frankly, you need to talk like them. Because if you talk like them, then it's easier to get into the mindset. It's like it's a little bit of method acting yeah. for, you know, for geopolitical analysis, right? It's like, hey, how about I just uh, like put on my Jamie Dimon suit and then start acting like, like, all right, now what? What does that look like? Oh, I know what that looks like. Suck Satan's cock. That's what that looks like. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a recent interview that you said um, that you were talking about, like you were just sitting around drinking with buddies and imagine I'm Jamie Diamond and we're going to take right. out Black Rock and why? <laughs> I'm Jamie Diamond. We got Solomon over there. We got some other guy from Boney. We got some other guy from, well, not both of it, Citigroup, blah, 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 blah. They're all sitting around, you know, I don't know whether Diamond can actually drink after the aortic session or not, or even smoke a cigar, but he's going to sit there maybe with his mineral water or whatever the hell he, he's, his doctor will allow him to drink now and just sitting around and having drinks and doing the thing on a porch in a, in a hotel and overlooking, I don't know, pick a, pick a city that they're going to, they're, they're going to get together in probably West Palm beach at this point, it's the winter time. So I expect him to be in West Palm and just doing the thing as I like to say, you know, Hey, Hey, that hey, you know, that think guy. He's kind of getting uppity, don't you think? <laughs> He's reminded me an awful lot of Dick Fall. Remember what we did to Dick Fall? Uh, Lehman Brothers. Oh, yeah, that was those were good times, weren't they? Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> and this Biden creep, we got to get rid of this guy. What are we gonna do with this guy? Right? And this is the way we this is the way they they and they just have that, you know, to put yourself into that conversation. Sit back and do a little, do a little, you know, do a little LARPing. And yeah. what do you got? Right? Yeah. You got we it, it looks an awful lot like what we're seeing. And uh, you know, and then when you understand, you know, how subtle the game is played, we've all watched enough house cards or you know, political dramas or whatever to know yeah. that, you know, that at the end of the day, that they're telling you the truth about how these things operate in the real, you know, in the real world. Who's gonna fall on their sword, who's going to walk away, who's going to go into witness protection, who's going to turn states, who's going to act as a double agent, blah, 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 right? But, you know, and then we have to have a show trial and, you know, and someone has to be the fall guy for that. So they've got Samuel, uh, they've got Scam Bankster Fraud going, doing the PR tour, like, you know, but he's, you know, he's still trying to do the aw shucks thing. I was just trying to save the world. So he's basically, you know, Greta Thunberg, Without the knothead and uh, and the fake outrage, and uh, you know, still trying to like sell this thing that he really did want to save the world, so that he can then take the fall, 
they did they did the same thing. They tried to do the same thing with Elizabeth Holmes, and that that failed tremendously because she was clearly an idiot. I mean, when I saw Kevin O'Leary tweet out the other day that hey, you know, I lost an awful lot of money believing FTX, and he was at Bitcoin twenty twenty one. I saw him speak there, you know, on the about the ESG panel, the ESG and Bitcoin panel, and you know, and O'Leary was, you know, he said, oh, I, you know, I. I I lost a lot of money and blah, 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 blah. And he tweets out. But, but you know, I just watched that entire interview with SBF. And I, I got to say, I believe it. I'm like, yeah, right, fine. Pull the other leg and plays Jingle Bells. Pull the other leg and plays um, Welcome to the Machine. I don't believe you, Kevin. Yeah. And like you say, he's not going to go to Discovery because if that was the case, then everybody behind Ukraine or whatever offshore money creation, they would be outed. Right. If everybody on Capitol Hill has compromise on them, then no one wants to go to look, look, mutually assured destruction works in power politics as much as it works in nuclear war. No one wants to go to Aida. No one wants to go to a Right. So that's why we always see these very muddled outcomes from these big things. Now, does that test the patience of the people who want to see, you know, some catharsis and some closure and some justice? Yes. So this time, someone's going to have to go to jail. Do I think it's scam banks for fraud? Most likely. Do I think it's many people beyond that? Most likely not. Will that be enough? No, it won't. Because he actually goes to jail. What's that? You actually think Sam goes to jail? Yeah. Yeah. It'll take it'll take some time. It'll work its way through. I guess that again is more downfall of who's actually running stuff. Think of it this way. Even if O'Leary's right, even if even if 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 fraud is, you know, if this guy really didn't know what was going on behind his back. I, I just assume for like the next minute or so that I'm a moron. Right. And that, uh, you know, and that I don't have, you know, I don't have three brain cells to rub together and make a spark. Let's just assume, even if we assume for a second that he is what he purports to be. And oh, shucks, I just wanted to save the world. I thought I was doing a great thing, blah, 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 blah. By the way, that's nonsense because we know from previous interviews that he did while this was going on. He was like, this whole thing is a scam. I know it's a scam, but I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, but let's just assume that. What use does he serve them other than as a fall guy? He doesn't serve any purpose anymore, right? The whole thing is done. Mm. It's been blown up. It's now going to cost a whole lot of people everything. And the real people who are on the shopping block here are the ones who never got control, of, who never sealed the deal with getting the Fed under control. Right. And because it's just better him than people that actually down. matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we got to start looking at who who's going to get excommunicated from the club at the higher level. Yeah. Okay. Because they're all shoring up their their Manila folder resumes at this point. Okay. There's a lot of shit going on that we're not seeing, but you can see bits and pieces of it. We get the breadcrumbs. We do the Hansel and Gretel thing. Yeah, like all the remember, divestment. Remember what everybody's inside. So. Yeah. I mean, I guess one example would be all the divestment out of BlackRock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, and even that, that's happening at the state level. What is it, $5 billion so far? It's nothing. It's a rounding error for BlackRock. They have $7.95 trillion worth of assets under, under management. It's a, it's a rounding error for BlackRock. Okay. And if you don't think that, you know, part of what's what, what Powell may have invited here with seemingly sounding dovish the other day wasn't to, you know, give Fink a lifeline, to stop the outflow of real assets under management, but at the same time say, now you work for me. Yeah. Then what better way than to engineer a big rally into the year rally in the stock market to minimize everybody's uh, losses? Mm-hmm. You, know, you think that, that Powell did that on for Fink's benefit? No, he did it for his own benefit. Yeah. And as we've seen every time they raise rates. It, so there's like two sides of, the, of this argument that I've I've come to. Every time he raises rates, he's just like, oh, the economy didn't suffer. It's actually booming, so we can raise rates again. There's enough room. But on the other side of that argument, it's as if, oh, inflation's terrible. We need to raise rates. So it's like they can't really lose whatever the narrative is. I know. I know. They have – they're absolutely – they uh, they are. And this is why I've been sitting there going, okay, Lagarde, keep keep trying to get out of the Chinese finger trap. It ain't working. All you're doing is making it worse. Now you got four fingers stuck. Now you got two Chinese finger traps you're trying to get out. Now you got three. Now you got four. Eventually you run out of fingers. Like, you know, little Dutch boy, plugging holes, yada yada. So, you know, use whatever, use whatever metaphor you want for this. And, you know, one of the things I don't think I said it to the patrons the other day in the market report. I think I said it yesterday in my uh the podcast i did for news I, I do a i do a, I do a newsmax oh. podcast on thursdays oh, right okay. so wednesday is a market report on thursday i do a i do a, basically a similar one for for new for my patrons or my, my subscribers over at newsmax cool. and there i was describing all of this um as look you know yeah lagarde is reloaded but what gun is she reloaded well she or is she even reloaded or did she, did she empty the shotgun and now she's down to the 357. Meanwhile, she's trying to fight Powell with a howitzer, who's mm-hmm. now reloading as we speak. Every time the foreign central banks go on a friggin' tear to reload their balance sheets with tr- cheap treasury bonds to defend their currencies with the next time the dollar goes on a bull run, because that's what happened. That's part of what you're seeing here. Remember, I talk about this all the time, or I don't know, all the time, but I, I, I've made the point many times that it looks to me like foreign central banks, like the setup on the quarter point on the 30-year and the 10. They'll buy 30s and 10s and even 5s and 7s when they reach a particular quarter point. So for quarter for the, ten, you know, so we, we saw a foreign quarter on the U.S. 10-year. And they all bought it like man. You know, especially when you think about that in, in the context of it happened, that you know, that quarter, that 425 on the U.S. 10-year coincided with the breakdown of the Bank of England, right? The overthrow right. of Liz Truss. That was the pivot point. So now everybody goes on a run. The dollar stops appreciating because they know probably coming down the pike that the next thing that's going to happen is we're going to put Credit Suisse in the crosshairs because they're going to go after the Swiss. It means it's going to force the Swiss National Bank to intervene in the markets, blah, 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 blah. And so we've just seen this continued run in this counter. This you know, It's a bear market, I think, now in u.s treasuries but this is a bull market rally or bull market correction within a within a new very new um bear long-term bear market i think in u.s treasuries it's going to last probably a decade 
Now, if we're there on that, then it makes sense that we'll see that push all the way down to as no lower than three and a half percent at that point. You know, they're probably I mean, on the 10. Like, I'm thinking like the, the, the Singaporean Central Bank and Hong Kong and others are thinking about like, wow, I'm actually able to get the U.S. Treasuries. I got to go all the I can get I can get out at three and a half percent as opposed to three point seven five because I was just hoping for three point seven five. And now we're looking at, you know, what are we trading at today on the 10? 3.7, 3.59. So, but we hit 3.5 and then all of a sudden the buyer, the buyers dried up. And so this makes sense that this is probably as far as the the tread, the, the, the run in treasuries is over. We're going to start getting selling because now the Fed can do what? They can, they can decide on, well, we're going to do $95 billion a month in QT between our mortgage-backed security holdings and our treasury holdings. Well, when treasury prices are high, what do you think they're going to sell? They're going to sell $95 billion a month worth of U.S. treasuries. That's what they're going to do. Now, and going to who, who, who's going to actually buy that? Well, they've been selling into that strength. They won't sell them now. Now they'll sell. Now, there's still demand for them now, right? Yeah, there's still demand for it. They're just going to sell them. The Fed can now just sell them, you know, into the market where it's needed. Because it's not like the treasury market's collapsing. All right, now the treasury market, everybody wants treasuries. So now you can sell it to strength. Which is why, like, the yield on treasuries is going down because people are just buying them. Because that's, right. that's the safest so place now, to park dollars, right? Yeah, right well, they're, buying, they're buying treasuries because they know that, like, foreign central banks need to have a supply of treasuries that they have a profit on, that they can sell. The next time the dollar starts to go on a run, right? They don't believe this. They don't believe this dollar bear run at all. I don't think. Like they, no one, no one in their right mind should believe that the euro is, you know, properly valued at a dollar five. Right. Like no one, no one is thinking that. But at but markets need pressure relief rallies. You know, bear markets need pressure relief rallies. Bull markets need corrections. They reset everybody's expectations and everybody's mania. Right. And so right now there's a bit of a mania in U.S. Treasuries. So if you're the Fed, you're selling it to strength. I would be. If I was Powell, I'd be selling. I'd be I'd be breaking my ninety five billion dollar a month limit right now. I'd sell one hundred and fifty billion dollars into this and then maybe only sell sixty billion dollars next month you know, or fifty billion dollars. You know I mean, I, I would take egregious advantage. Of this. So especially since the Fed now, you know, technically has a hole in their balance sheet. Got it. How long have we been going? Because apparently this ends in ten minutes. Are you are you on a paid Zoom account? Or I no. Did they change that? If you're on a pay, if you're on a free Zoom account, the meeting limit is forty minutes. Wow, that's it's new. Been nice. Kind of always been that. Nice. Huh. Mm-hmm. All right then, that's fine. What we'll do is you just you got yeah, just edit, shop it. You have, to, you have to stitch this together, and you got to edit this. I had to do that with the podcast I just published with, with Chris Sullivan because my yeah. wife has a, a paid Zoom account, but I logged out of it on my laptop and can't can't remember the fucking password. Um, it hasn't always been the case, has it? Yeah, it's always been the case. It happened to friggin' it happened to Kathy Woods. She was hosting a friggin' meeting and. And, you know, like on CNBC and the thing and, and the thing dropped out on her because it went longer than 40 minutes or something. It was crazy. Yeah. Wait, like so, wait. like, like how, how does ARC not buy, you know, spend $10 a month on a, on a paid Zoom account? It's just nuts. So, all 
Huh. Cause that's weird. Like in the past, I've never had a, like it, I didn't pay and I could get like two hours. Huh. On zoom. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, cool. Interesting. I mean, it may be that I'm also logged in on my free account. So since no one's paying, mm-hmm. that may be the issue. I don't know. I may be, you know, it is what it is. So we'll just keep going. Maybe we got, All right. we got six minutes and then we'll just, you know, just make a new meeting link and sweet. Cool. We'll, get, we'll yeah. do. So to, to tie, tie a bill on this, basically, um, a lot of this like mumbo jumbo treasury stuff is a little confusing to me. Like when you say like reload, I just think like deficit deficit spending money printing of the ECB to yield curve control and like buy assets. Yeah, yeah. that's that's, that's it. effectively it. I'm just, I'm just saying that it, uh, the way I wanted to put it in 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 kind of metaphoric terms for people is since July, there's been three major events that have allowed Lagarde and the ECB to extend and pretend another six months. Mm-hmm. You had the um, creation or the announcement of the TPI, Transmission Protection Instrument, to maintain credit spreads within the EU, which gave the markets the false hope that Lagarde knew what she was doing. You had the blow-up of Liz Truss's government and the submission of the UK to Davos, and now that. And then you had the SNB intervene in the Swiss franc market while Credit Suisse was undergoing a bank run and all of those things forced a lot of dollars off the sidelines. And now, in the last couple of days, Powell turns around and goes, "Okay, yeah, well, we can extend your your little thing for a little while longer because you know I'm into tax because you know it's tax loss selling season here in the United States. It's December, and a lot of people are sitting on some losses. So you know I'm going to bail out. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it a little easier for people to not, you know, sell their stocks you know, at a loss." Into the into December, so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make like I'm I'm pivoting or make like I'm I'm slowing down, even though he's said exactly everything he's been saying for months. Yeah. But the market so wants to believe that he's going to do that. The market sentiment is still, as I've been saying, still in denial about the end of the Fed put because of the imprinting of, of the general zeitgeist of the market psychology that the Fed puts been in place. As long as almost all of us have been alive, or at least you know alive long enough, professionals have been alive long enough to be professionals. Like every professional bond, you know, manager and portfolio manager over the age of you know, under the age of sixty-five hasn't ever traded a bear market in U.S. Treasuries. Mm-hmm. 60, 65 years old, right? Because it's been a, it's a fifty-year bear market, a fifty-year bull market. These guys enter when they're you know when they were eight at best at you know twenty-two years old. So we're talking guys under the age of seventy at this point have never traded a bear market. In U.S. Treasuries, so you know the younger guys have no idea what that even looks like. And you know when you have your, you know, you have the OG in the in in the local office going, dude, you don't remember the seventies? Like, yeah, whatever, grandpa. You don't understand. It's a different world today. Like, you don't think that that conversation has not happened about four hundred million times in the last fifteen years? At every, you know, Raymond James or. Credit Suisse or JP Morgan trading desk? Are you kidding? No more? Like, are you, are, you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, of course it has. And then crypto on top of it, just elevating the Ponzi scheme to, you know, orders of magnitude way above any, whatever anybody ever considered was possible. 
Of course. So now the idea in the minds of these of the Gen Xers and the millennials working these desks don't have any idea what it looks like. Don't believe it could even be it's even possible. And therefore, they won't believe it. So all the all Davos has to do is write a couple of fake headlines and allow the allow the algos to go wild, which is what they did during Thanksgiving week over over with in the oil markets. Yeah. They literally wrote up like three fake headlines and moved and, and whipsawed the price of oil and five, six dollars a barrel. And Saudi Arabia was having to come out and like do damage control over fake news stories that were coming out of friggin' Reuters. So is that why I filled up my tank for at 275? Mm. You're in Texas. Yeah. I'm still filling up at like 325. So but I'm in a weird place in North Florida that is always pays about 10 cents more than the rest of the state. So yeah. So cool. I mean, we well, pay more, we pay more in, in my area of the, of the, of the, of the state than people pay on the, on, on the Florida turnpike, which is a toll road. And, and they're always 15%, 15 cents higher than the rest. Of, you know what I mean? I pay even more than those people. Yeah. That's nuts. Well, we're running up on this time, so I'm going to end this and uh, I'll send you another link and then we'll okay. uh, do it live. All right, part two. Now, what is this? Do this. So, you wrote a little uh, article recently about the mm. whole Maloney coming out, exposing the franc, and also giving examples of how this mercantilism isn't just happening with Africa and France, but also Germany and the EU, and then going as far as the US. And now that kind of goes into the like, can SOFR replace the FFR? So, let's just like do that saga. Okay, so there's a lot there's a lot to unpack there. So just to uh, catch everybody up real quick, George Maloney, the new Italian prime minister, Queen, um, is is awesome, and it's interesting um, that a three year old video of hers where she was calling out the French uh, colonial franc that they use in fourteen of their former col- former colonies over in West Africa. Uh, and it's been since revised a little bit since then. So now there's two different versions of the French uh, colonial franc, one for seven countries and another one for seven other countries. But the mechanics don't matter because that that, that came out and then went viral was, I think, the big tell, right? It's not that, you know, she brought this up three years ago. That's It's important. What's important is that somebody in her group office or whoever um, – her ally or whatever sent it out there and then made sure that it hit the right people to then blow up all over Twitter. And now of course it blew up over Twitter because, you know, Hey, Elon Musk is, you know, taking the foot off the neck of the algorithm. And so now it can propagate. And so the thing went viral in a way that it would have never gone viral under, you know, uh, whatever the parag, you know, Aragon or whatever his name is. Um, that fucking guy. So that changed a lot of things because now all of a sudden France virtue signaling about, you know, Maloney, uh, Maloney refusing to take you know, a couple hundred friggin' uh, North African refugees after taking 60,000, I might add, uh, in 2022. Uh, it's just insanity. And then the French foreign minister calls her an enemy of France and blah, 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 blah. And I've got my guys, from, my friends over from Mid-Dolcino Mid- Mid- telling me, like, there's like, there's French 
foreign, there's, there's French troops running around in Italian police uniforms in Northern Italy at this point. Like, and I don't know how much to believe them. Because, you know, I mean, we're Italian and we tend to be a little histrionic. I, I know everybody's a little shocked for me to say that. But even, even if you don't, you know, even if you don't believe Italian history, even if you do believe that we're not, you know, we as Italians are overly emotional, but not necessarily histrionic, well, that's fine. Right? So, and I, like, I get it. I'm, you know, I'm as, I'm as Italian as they come. So, in that respect, at least, you know, uh, both genotypically and phenotypically. So, and then I'm a, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, an ex-New Yorker on on, uh, on top of all of it. Now, so the the war between Italy and France is real because it's clear that the French and the Germans are trying to, you know, put the kibosh on any idea that the Italians can declare independence from the European Union, or if not declare independence from the European Union, gain political gain a significant amount of political power within the EU. Now. That's one aspect of this. Now, so what is the significance of the CFA franc, the colonial French, uh, uh, whatever it is? It's the, the CFA franc. It's that this currency is pegged ultimately to the euro and also, by extension, inherits the ECB's monetary policy, meaning the discount rate and the deposit rate. For now, Currencies should reflect in the aggregate, for lack of a better term, since they're all based on debt and they're and they're and by extension, then the debt is based on the ability of the government to collect tax revenue based on the economic activity and the labor efficiency. It's in effect, you know, connect three or four dots and it comes down to it's a it's a proxy for labor efficiency or capital efficiency. Uh, uh, within a particular country. So now, as dysfunctional as the European Union is, do you really think the Ivory Coast, for example, has the same labor efficiency as the Europe in the aggregate? Of course not. These people barely have running water for Christ's sake, barely have indoor plumbing for Christ's sake. And you know, I mean, the last I checked, you know, even the even the European Union can still make toilet paper. Like Right. Okay. I mean, they're they're an advanced economy, relatively speaking. So why should they have the same currency? They shouldn't. So a, they're saddled with a currency that's far stronger than it should be, and therefore it retards capital investment. It re, it retards um, the ability of the country to attract capital and and utilize what capital it has efficiently. It's starved of capital, so it can't do the things that it needs to do. And therefore, because of this, um, it leaves them in a vulnerable position uh, and, and it leaves them in a permanent state of, of uh, having their, 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 uh, their economy hollowed out and their wealth extracted from them. No different than when you look at the euro itself then and go, okay, well, we have one currency with four all 19 of the members of the Eurozone. Well, Germany's debt is trading at, you know, is trading slightly lower than Italian debt, but Italian labor efficiency isn't anywhere close to that of Germany. And so if you had, you know, if you didn't have the Euro, the Deutsche Mark would be far stronger than the Lira. 
Italian bond yields would be which would be much higher than German bond yields as a as a uh, a market a vote of confidence of one versus the other. And the minute that the Italian labor efficiency started to rise, its currency would start to strengthen, the bond yields would come down, there'd be normalization of credit spreads between the two, yada, yada, yada. And the bond vigilantes would be able to keep all of this working. But the bond vigilantes don't work. They don't operate because the central banks have taken everything over. So Germany has run, and effectively from within the European Union, it runs its own kind of mercantilist um, scam. The Italians benefit from Germany's bond rating and credit rating to issue more debt than they should to buy German goods at prices that they shouldn't be paying. And the Germans get to book a massive trade surplus and look like they're the, the crown jewel economically because they're trading in a currency that's weaker than the, what their currency should be. And so it's, you know, so it's classic mercantilism. And then you add on top of that the EU itself writing rules for capital, free movement of capital, tax rates, this, that, regulations, you know, all of these things that Italian businesses have to comply with, and they can't comply with equally versus the Germans who can, you know. And, and so what you wind up with is, and of course, the European Commission is dominated by who? Germans, because they have all the political power. So therefore, they can continue to raise barriers, protective barriers around their business within the European Union at the expense of everybody else's. Well, now, the big insight for me, I can't believe it took me this long to figure this out because I've been screaming about Germany doing running the scam on, on the rest of the EU for, what, six, seven, eight years now. And it only dawned on me a month ago that fucking California and New York have been doing the same goddamn thing to the rest of us with the one monolithic Fed funds rate. Right? And one, but... You know, and it's a little different for us because it's not the it's not quite the same for us because we only have one issuer of U.S. Treasury bonds, right? The U.S. you know U.S. the U.S. Treasury and by extension the Federal Reserve. Whereas in the Europe they have a worse system because it's even worse. It's because it's and it's more and it's more pernicious because Italy still retains its central bank and its nominal. Budget and yada yada yada, but the true the, the basic difference, but the the basic analysis is still the same. If it's not quite so dramatic or pronounced here in the United States, where California attracts the best jobs with the better economy, it stays there. The, those jobs stay there. They have the political power to then write the rules in Washington that benefit their businesses, as opposed to moving the business somewhere else. And for years and years and years. That's why the military-industrial complex and the tech sector were all in California. That's why California politicians were so powerful, yada, yada, yada. Now, that only works for so long until eventually the fiction of all of this, un this unearned rent, this unearned capital, this unearned revenue that was, that was given to California or extracted from the rest of the country for, for decades, they eventually squander it all because well, they just think that the gravy train is never going to end because they have everything sewn up. They've got all the, the they've, they've sewn up all the vectors by which capital can leak away until prices get so cheap 
in places like Tennessee or whatever. And so the businesses in these area in these in these old economy uh, regions are so sclerotic that what do you think happened to the Rust Belt in New York and Pennsylvania and Ohio and other well all that stuff moved. And moreover, with the uh, with the American uh, with the with the Fed also running monetary policy for a globalist agenda. You know, we sent all the manufacturing jobs overseas, and now the other countries that we that primarily want to sell to us relocated here. They're and you know relocated a lot of their manufacturing here. So the like the entire car industry is you know is in Tennessee, Ohio, right, North Carolina, South Carolina. So many cars are made here. The Japanese companies all make them here, right? So they became destinations for capital. They became destinations for jobs. Their political power sort of kept kept rising. Same thing with Florida and Texas and others. And so the, eventually, the net migration of capital, you know, is breaking down California, it's breaking down New York, right? But they ran the same internal mercantilist scam here in the United States in order to concentrate capital where they wanted there to be a concentration of political a political capital in Washington D.C. No different than what they're doing in the EU with the European Commission. Same thing. So the interesting part about this now is that um, those old relationships break down. As we reach the end of globalism, a lot of these dynamics are, are, are changing. And the buildup of Florida as a, as, a, as a powerhouse, as the boomers all retired, and we became a com- consumer economy, people would rather consume the good life away from the goddamn snow. It's that simple. <laughs> it's not that tough to see that the money all moved south and they wanted to preserve their wealth and say start cashing out in places that don't have an income tax, have you know more educational freedom for their grandkids, blah, 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 blah. Like my old family moved out of New York. They're all in South Carolina and North Carolina. And they're not the only ones. And now with the Trump tax cuts of 2017, which fucking Davos hated. Because it was one of the biggest and best pieces of political kit ever to strengthen Trump's core political base. It created the migration that we're seeing today. It started the migration we're seeing today that was only then amplified during COVID. That, you know, when Ron DeSantis stood up and said, you know what? Florida's still open for business. Everybody's like, great, I'm moving to Florida. I'm going to sell my overpriced $600, $600,000 hovel that I'm, you know, that, I'm, that I own on the outskirts of, you know, San Francisco and or $800,000 or a million dollars. I'm going to go buy some, I'm going to go buy a, I'm going to go buy a place, you know, east of, or west of Palm Beach in the western part of Broward County for 300 grand, pocket the difference and pay one third the money in taxes. I got news for you. When Tony Robbins wrote about moving out of California five years ago, he wrote an entire book about this. Tony Robbins, like as normie a guy as possible that normies, you know, that watch Oprah listen to. And he explained that he saves more money a year by, by relocating his mansion from California to West Palm in taxes that it literally pays for his entire lifestyle in a year. That's how low his tax. That's how much lower his tax burden is in Florida over California, and 
You know, when you when when normies hear that story, they get ideas. <laughs> and now we're and we're reaping the benefits of this now. And so these trends are not going to change anytime soon. Biden and Yellen are desperately trying to, you know, raise the corporate tax rate. They're trying to tax normalize the OECD, uh, trying to uh, using OECD rules to normalize taxes. They actually want to raise our corporate tax rate back up to 28%. Meanwhile, oh, by the way, France wants to lower their corporate tax rate back to 26% or leave it at 26.5%. Why? Because they want the money not to flow into the United States, they want to flow into France. And they're using tax policy to do so. That makes complete total sense. Uh, I mean, it's just that jurisdictional arbitrage that yes. uh, people, it's just, it sounds too good to be true. I mean, it shouldn't because it's just rational and right. people just act on their incentive. But again, it, it this goes back to it's like the downstreams of tight monetary policy, right? Making people shape up. Yeah. Yep. It is. It's, a, it's, you know, eventually again, all of these systems, mercantilism always has a limit and it's usually a, a pretty quick one. It's usually, you know, good for a five to 10 year, you know, boost. And then it collapses under the weight of itself as everybody, you know, grinds out the arbitrage created because everybody then devalues their currencies and, 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 and puts up, you know, trade barriers and blah, 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 blah. And then when, when trade wars happen, and then real wars happen. And then it's like the history of Europe, <laughs> you know? And so, okay. And then there's a race to the bottom and everything collapses. And then, you know, every eight years or so, you know, big blow up and then they reset the system and do it again. The Chinese are sitting there going, you guys have been running, have been allowing us to run our mercantilist playbook for far longer than we had, we ever thought you would have let us. And they got escape velocity. And now we're seeing the China Hawks. Now all of a sudden, you know, the resurrection of Kyle Bass is occurring again, right? The the new him and Peter Dehan and others are like they're doing the whole anti-China thing. And you know, Steve Bannon is out there doing his typical um, you know, Office of Navy Intelligence thing that everybody forgets that he's a part that he's, you know, a part of, um, you know, everybody forgets that Bannon was, you know, Navy intelligence. Same with Jack Krasovic, by the way, just putting it out there. Fucking retards these guys. So, you know, when you, when you parse all that out, it's pretty obvious that there's, you know, yeah, we have to stop. We have to reverse the whole, outflow of capital and manufacturing and everything else to the Chinese, clearly. But we should have done this 20 years ago. But Davos obviously wanted China built, and they really did think that they were going to be able to run their same oligarchic you know, regulatory capture scheme on the Chinese that they ran on us, the Brits, because they were able to do it here in the West, so it should work for China because human beings are just human beings, right? But they failed in Russia in the 90s. Well, they almost succeeded in Russia in the 90s, right? And then Putin put the kibosh on all of it. This is why they hate Putin. He cost them billions. He cost them everything. He cost them their agenda. And rebuilt Russia into, you know, uh, a commodities powerhouse. And sent all the olig oligarchs either to the gulag or into exile and then nationalized all their assets. 
And how I always forget how exactly did he do that? Like he used like financial rules against them, or he he just put them in fucking jail, Hmm. and he just took Yukos and said it's a strategic asset that's owned by the by the Russian people and was sold off illegally. And sorry, no, it's ours. See the same thing with Gazprom. Bill Browder and, and these guys were running around buying up, buying up the privatization coupons to get shares of for, for pennies on the dollar while Russians were starving in the streets and selling these, selling their shares of Gazprom for pennies, for Kopecks, not even rubles. Like go go watch any good expose of Bill Browder and the scam that these guys were running. And yeah. you will be forever changed as a human being as to how evil and depraved these fucking people actually are. How does Bill Browder wind up in Moscow with a suitcase full of American dollars buying with cash, buying tens of thousands of shares of Gazprom and Rosnan? How? I mean, it all I, 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 Martin Armstrong talked about this at great length. Go watch The Forecaster. Um, go watch Andre Nekrasov's uh, movie about Browder and, uh, and the Magnitsky file. Go watch all of those movies. And, you know, it, it's, it's all very clear that this was a massive scam. It, it, Martin Armstrong, among other things that he's going to, that, he's, that we owe him a debt for, is his exposure of Bill Browder and the scam that was, you know, the Edmund Safra, the Bank of New York Mellon, and all the rest of it that they that they and you know, um, Robert, and even you know to another extent, Robert Maxwell was involved in this shit. Everybody was involved. In it. So, yeah, this shit's big. This is, but it was the same. But they thought that they were going to, and they almost did run the table on this. They did actually get the shares, and then freaking Putin just canceled them all and said, "Nope, sorry," <laughs> like no. Like it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't even have to know what he actually does. Just, no, we're not doing it. And they almost, you know, got every. They almost got control of everything. They had, they were like this close to taking out Russia in 1999. Yeah, I mean, which also kind of alludes to what you and Alex Craner were talking about the other day on mm-hmm. a recent appearance of the USSR was basically a pet project of the. Like globalist New York banks, sure, and London banks. Yeah, don't forget the. the uh, don't forget the yeah, okay, okay, yeah. It's London has driven our monetary policy until this year. Yes, right. I just want to make sure that everybody's clear that it's not just Pepe Escobar's empire of chaos. Like you don't let Perfidious Albion off and the British Crown off the hook. You just don't. And then there, and then there ties to old German money and old Dutch money and like and old Italian money and all this Club of Rome shit. Like it's all the same people. It's all the same people. And they just don't want to give up. <clears throat> they just don't. And I don't, you know, I don't expect them to. They've been running things for four they've been running things for over four hundred years. Like, you know, and every time I I use that phrase, all I can think of is Johnny Casper from Miller Frost. Yeah. Running things. It's not as easy as it as it looks. My stomach's been killing me off. Uh, yeah. John uh, God rest the soul of John Polito. So you you brought up Martin Armstrong, and mm-hmm. you always say that he brings up a great point. Like, um, well, first of all, let's start with my I guess I'll call it like shower epiphany. 
Uh, I was thinking about this stuff, and then I DM'd you, Tom, what if Silver can replace the Fed funds rate? But then you oh, brought yeah. up what Martin Armstrong says of like, well, there were actually 12 original uh, yep. regional Fed funds. So I don't, did, did we miss that in talking about the... Yeah, I didn't even go, go into it. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I only like the filibuster for so long and I get, you know, get, kind of get lost. Okay. So, um, so yeah. Going back to like so, the mercantilism with between like New York and California and using that monetary policy to express. Well, the thing is, is that originally, as Martin Armstrong pointed out a while ago, you know, he was, you know, and banging his shoe on the table like Khrushchev and trying to yell at all the gold bugs and all the Austrians like myself and others saying, look, Y'all blame the Fed for everything, but the Fed's not the only source of the problem. Originally, the Fed was really just designed to be a a source of temporary liquidity during monetary spasms. And we had 12 regional Fed banks. We still have 12 regional Fed banks, right? Minneapolis, Atlanta, Dallas, New York, San Francisco, right? And St. Louis, right? We have all these regional banks, and originally, individually, they all set individual interest rates for their regions. So that if you know money demand in San Francisco, because well, Raytheon was building a new freaking plant, or you know, and all this capital being attracted to California, the cost of capital in California would rise. Fed would set interest rates in a Keynesian way, it would, it would try and slow the economy down by raising interest rates. And forcing the cost of capital up, thereby allowing you know the Atlanta Fed, for example, if you know activity was low, to keep interest rates a little lower, half point, point lower, whatever. Regional, we had regional interest rates here in the United States. It's anathema to everybody because it's always been one monolithic rate. And you know we can thank. I don't remember when that changed. I think it was during World War II. I think it was during FDR when all the bad shit happened. So. Um, with a monolithic singular Fed funds rate, which New York dominated for years. But again, New York dominated the Federal Reserve even from the outset. So even though Martin likes to talk, you know, wax, you know, um, eloquently about the structure of the Fed, it's still a a monstrous organization because it was always going to be subject to the levels of corruption that we saw in the Fed. The Fed was always going to wind up having New York set monetary policy for the entire United States. Okay? It was always going to happen. New York and San Francisco got together and they colluded and they forced, you know, and they forced everybody else's, you know, business on them, right? So it was eventually going to happen anyway. So the whole idea that the Fed is, you know, not to blame is is that's apologia on Martin's part. And I'm going to argue, and you know, if I ever get into this in, in the same conversation with them, I'm going to I'm going to say that exact thing to it. Because it's apologia. It's bullshit. It's nonsense. It's a, it's a, it's a system that is designed to ingrain a, mech, a vector of corruption in something that we should not have vectors of corruption set in, set in stone on. It should not, this is an institution that is wrong from a, from a human freedom, a human liberty perspective, period. But it's the world we have, not the world we want. Right. So the world we've got is that we've got this crappy version of the federal reserve so now now let's think about what goes on with with um uh with and and what actually helped drive new york and san francisco to you know 
create the monolithic Fed funds rate? Well, it was the fact that all of our debt was indexed to LIBOR. So we were already getting our, um, we were already getting, taking our monetary policy cues from another source, which was that rate. And sure, there's, you know, you know, money, you know, so yeah, sure, loans in Mississippi would, you know, go off at a, at a lower premium or even a discount to LIBOR than they would say in California or New York or whatever. Fine. Yeah. But please, you know, we're talking pittance here, not when they also control the the fiscal side of things and how the how the money is spent fiscally. So the money was never going to go to Mississippi. What goes to Mississippi is welfare, keeping the labor efficiency poor, keeping it's not capital that's going to pull Mississippi out of you know a two hundred year freaking depression, which is what the which is what the state's been in relative to California. No, all the money went to California. Okay, that's just reality. So they were the they, they were the beneficiaries of the free money. Well, you know, with a debt with a singular debt indexing rate that's not based on market transactions, like LIBOR, then clearly we if we get rid of that, you know, then the possibility for the re-regionalization of interest rates in the United States is on the table because we now have that with our own market driven collateralized rate called SOFR, S-O-F-R, otherwise known as a secured overnight financing. And so this is the thing that's now, you know, undergirding our, um, our uh, you know, our, our debt markets. And then there comes a day where if it's market driven internally ba- based on what's happening in, you know, real transactions and real bank between real banks and real players in the United States, then what do we need a Fed funds rate for? And maybe, just maybe, what we're seeing from Powell is the desire to actually create, is to start the groundwork of, of laying the groundwork, the foundation for the eventual doing away of with the Fed funds rate because we're going to have to have a re-regionalization of debt indexing and the cost of capital within the United States. It could also be telling you that this process of decentralizing the interest rates is necessary because there's a competing asset out there that no one wants to, that no one can deal with, Bitcoin or gold, and that the political system that's kept, that's, that's propped this whole rotten system up is also under multi-vector attack and is going to die anyway. So what's the best way to prep the markets for the uh, the catastrophic breakdown of the United States, but the re-regionalization of interest rates, so that money markets locally are far more are, are far more responsive to local business. So that if there's a political shock, there's not as much of a concomitant monetary shock locally. And then we have a situation that's similar, now that I think about it off the top of my head, similar to the way Buchanan handled the Panic of 1857, rather than the way we handled the great financial crisis of 2008. Which is where Buchanan just shored up the, ba- the local banks with specie and let, the, and, let, and let everybody else you know, 
figure it out. In this, in this next crisis, we may not see the Fed necessarily bail everybody out, but the banks will have to go to the discount window to get temporary liquidity and do what they need to do. And yeah, they'll have to wear the scarlet letter mark of shame and there will be bank and there will be major banks that go go under while the regional banks who no longer have to take their cues from other people as much. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. It would be interesting to see if the Fed winds up having to um, take their monetary policy cues from what they're seeing in the SOFR markets. And we've seen this even a little bit. Because when, when, when Powell raised the, the reverse repo rate by five basis points above the Fed funds rate last year, which, is the, which was my aha moment, right? And now I'm going to throw some, gonna, I'm going to tie, tie some other dots together. Jeff Snyder, we have seven minutes, the Lumber Partners, wrote a very interesting piece talking about how Powell had to raise the, the RRP rate five basis points above. He had to do something because there was so much dollar demand that uh, the money market rates were the the the, the one month T bill rates were threatening to go negative. They were literally pegged at the zero bound, and they were pegged at the zero bound so so far and for so long that Powell actually had no idea what the actual rate was because it couldn't go negative. Because we're the reserve currency of the world, so we couldn't let it go negative. So what Snyder said then, and this I agree with Jeff about, is that Powell raised the reverse repo rate by five basis points in order to uncover what the actual demand was for the dollar. And for the first few months after, first few weeks after he did that, the T-bill rate moved the, the, the one month or the 14 or whatever, the, the, the short-term T-bill rate moved back up. The short end of the yield curve moved back up to positive 3.5 basis points, meaning there was one and a half basis points worth of unmet demand in the U.S. money markets at that moment in time. And that's why he raised five basis points. And now you can look at the way SOFR trades and you can see it moves a couple of basis points above the, the floor of the Fed funds rate. It's trading right now, the, the SOFR quoted at 3.82 the other day, which is seven basis points above the floor of the Fed funds rate. So is that part of the reason why Powell was so, was so dovish yesterday? Because it's the first time I've seen it actually make it above the reverse repo payoff, which is five basis points above the Fed floor. Fed's paying 3.8%. Sofer's now at 3.82. Was that why? Is that the new, is that the new signal? I, I'm literally vamping about this right now. I'm literally putting all of these things are popping into my head as I speak. I'm not, this is not, these aren't prepared remarks, guys. This is just me like trying to read what's going on. I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. Amazing what actual markets can accomplish, though. Right, right. It's amazing what happens when you wind up with enough tools to actually allow markets to start expressing themselves. And so what that means is maybe there's actually more stress in the money markets than we've seen in two years in the United States, which is why Powell had to kind of back off a little bit and say, okay, I've started to break things domestically. I can back off, give everybody a, a lifeline. Does that mean that Lagarde gets a longer lifeline at the ECB? Sure it does. But he's still going to raise 50 basis points on, on in two weeks from now. 
So that still puts 50 basis points worth of pressure on her. Yeah, and which also means that he doesn't have to raise as aggressively because the amount that he has raised has worked. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that as well. It's not just that, but he's already done so much damage. He doesn't have to. He's like, even if he work were here's to, done. Yeah, even if he were to say, my work here is done. I can do this job from home now, right? Yeah. I still like still done. He's still though, done so much more work than anybody ever expected him to do this year. Remember, we were all this time last year, we were talking, well, if the Fed does start to raise rates, maybe they'll do, you know, seven quarter points. We'll be at one and a half percent by the end of the year. You know, he might have to give one back. And here we are at four percent, looking at four point five percent. And everybody's going, Well, Powell just pivoted, man. You're wrong. I'm like, like, fuck off. Like, I have patrons saying this shit to me, and I literally want to say that. I'm like, dude, dude, fuck off. Like, I'm seriously. Just, I'm, I'm like, slamming I'm, my I'm head. I'm so done with it. Like, this, this is every once in a while, Phil. I know I go on the ramp where I'm like, I need to fire the 10% of my, my, my worst <laughs> patron, like my, my worst customers. It, it, it's at moments like this that I, I actually want to go on that rant again. Dude, yes. Like, I'm looking at, at the server, and I'm just like slamming my head against the wall. I was like, so y'all have been here longer than me, but you're still saying this shit? Like, what don't you get? Or are you in denial? Like, did you have a bad trade this week? Like, what's your fucking deal? <laughs> I know. I know. Like, come on, man. Like, come on. It's not, come on, you know, man. It's nothing is, nothing goes, I mean, Powell could, look, Phil, Powell could raise 25 basis points in two weeks, and he would still have already done 90% of the damage to the to these markets that he that he intended to do, okay. It's a perception. Now again, I say all the time, markets run on momentum and sentiment, not on fundamentals. But the fundamentals are that the Fed funds rate is at four and a quarter percent, and then used car loans are eleven. <laughs> okay, I mean, anybody gotten shopped? For if you have less than. You know, seven. Okay, let me. Give you, it's funny. I, I I know this because I just went went through and, and Tom Tom Tom. So so like real quick. Uh, we got like a minute left. So right. let's shut this one down. I'll send you another link and then we'll wrap it up on the other end. Sound good? Sure, sounds good. Yep. Yep. Bye-bye. All right, we'll be right back. This is your friendly reminder to rate, subscribe, review. They say the best things they come in threes, like rate, subscribe, review. If you rate it five stars, we can raise the bar. Subscribe so you can stay in tune. Don't forget at the very end to leave a nice review. Something like I love you, Sue. Rate, subscribe, review, please. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, part three. What I want to do is pick up where we kind of left off and ease into the whole FTX tether thing because it's very in line with uh, Tom's and like now my adopted thesis of who he's behind tether and and why he took it down i agree with tom that really i think cz basically just did like an evergrand on f on ftx mm. he got in on the pre-mine of like the ftc token put it on the exchange but then also took it off the exchange by saying hey we're gonna market sell this and really take it to zero because i kind of saw it as SBF using FTT token and regulations out of Gensler or whatever as soft power control over all the crypto um, exchanges. And then just it's another way for them to extend offshore dollar creation, all this crap. And 
Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. One of the things I brought up in the podcast I just published with Chris Sullivan, I did on Wednesday, was the final was the was the was, was the following. If they could create enough confidence, I think I actually we talked about this last night on the Palisades Gold Radio thing as well. If the Twitter space that I did with that last night was like if they could create enough confidence in FTS as a monetary system. I mean, central banks are Ponzi schemes. They're confidence games. Why not have a, why not be, you know, a crypto one for millennials? You know, this is, it's another way of a taking out the Federal Reserve. And if FTX had ever gotten escape velocity in terms of amount of capital under its control, who's to say that they couldn't have kept this thing going forever in a day? So then now was the time that they had to take it out. Um, I don't see any other, you know, when you think of it from that perspective and you think about how clear the battle lines have been drawn between the Fed and the rest of the Euro trash commies for the <laughs> for the patrons in the audience. I, it's the only time I've said it today. Um, so, you know, when you think of it in those terms, like it's possible. But that's what they did. And then they were you know, tied in with, you know, their with Ripple or whatever they were going to use as the, as the wholesale thing on the back end, and blah blah blah. blah and, you know, it's all all obvious. Ser- seriously, they were they were pulling. They were going to pull that rug pull, which is why Lagarde hates Bitcoin. Remember, Lagarde hates Bitcoin because as she's rightly called it an escape valve, an escape hatch. And if there's an escape hatch that's available, people will use it, right? Well, but crypto, that's not an escape valve because you don't control the keys. You don't control the coins. You don't control anything. Yeah. So they didn't really have much of a problem with those things. They had a problem with Bitcoin. Powell, on the other hand, doesn't have a problem with Bitcoin, but he had a problem with all the stable coins. Like, do, do you need a more clear statement of the, of the difference in ideology, the difference in perspective, the difference in anything than those basic ideas, you know, like those two statements. Is there anything specific Powell said to be favorable towards that? Like Bitcoin over? He did. He said literally like a year and a half ago, he said, I don't really have much of a problem with Bitcoin. I have a problem with stable coins. I mean, I don't remember like chapter and verse where he said it. I'll but he said it in an official, he has said it as an, in an official capacity as the Fed chairman. I don't remember if he said it during a Humphrey Hawkins testimony or something else. But he said, look, I don't really have much of a problem with Bitcoin. He might have just been vamping at like a symposium that he was attending. You know? But I, rem- I remember clear as day him saying it. And I've mentioned this multiple times since then. And no one has contradicted me saying, well, he never said that. Everybody said, oh, yeah, I remember that. And we just all put it in the back of, the, our, back of our heads and didn't think about the, uh, you know, when I didn't, you know, I don't bookmark 90% of the stuff that I cross. I actually don't bookmark anything. I wish I did. If I, you know, because memory holds so damn fast, you can't find anything. Yeah. The search engines are so bad. Um, like, it kills me. Like, Zero Hedge seriously needs a better search, search function than they have. They have the, the worst search function imaginable. Right. They would have three times the amount of traffic they had if they had, actually had a, a competent search function on Zero Hedge. Mm-hmm. So. Somewhat well, a little tangential. Do you ever feel like 
<laughs> you're, you're, when you're writing this stuff, do you ever feel like you do a disservice by not like saving all these links and and having your receipts? Because like I come across that in the shit that I write. It's like, well, fucking like, yeah. put yourself. It's like I'm. This is a blog. Like I'm not writing for the New York Times as like they're like great journalists. But, yeah, but I mean, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, I bet you know the thing is is that we kind of have to do that now. And um, and you know it's funny. I um, I say I say that. And I invariably, before I go public with an article about things like this, I rarely any. I, I go back and I, I, I it, it's it's funny. I feel I get involved in this. You know how fast I work, because you you know I've talked about this. Like I can nine times out of nine times ninety nine times out of hundred, if I write a post, it usually takes an hour and a half, and I usually sit down and have no idea what I'm going to write about until I start. And then I've got so much to say about any particular thing. An hour, hour and a half, two hours later, I'm, I'm done with some massive freaking post. Like the morning munchings that we do for the, that I do for the patrons. I, I, I just use it as my notebook. And I'm write, writing all this stuff down, though these things that I've seen. I was doing this this morning. And I'm like, I can't remember where I saw this thing I just saw this morning. Did I see it on Slack? Did I see it you know, in a Twitter DM? Did I see it? on RT that I see it on Zero Hedge. And I was like looking for the thing that stated that the US, for example, was looking for was was uh, Raytheon pointed out that they wanted to move or, or advise that they should move a lot of their weapon systems out of the Middle East and move them into Ukraine. Like that's how bad the situation is for the Ukrainians that we now need to move deployed US assets out of the Middle East. Now that's a harbinger of like that that in and of itself tells you like i could write three blog posts on just that thing alone right and there's like this little thing that was you know thrown out by and, and but it was on rt and it took me like 45 minutes to, it took me like no not about 25 minutes to find it which is part of the reason why i was late getting <laughs> to you today because i'm like oh, i should be able to get this done by 12 30 and then i'll yeah. be ready by one o'clock and i'm like running around at 12 54 and hit and send right public but it took me because it was 20 minutes for me to find that and if i would just Every time I got a link like that, I really like. I used to use my Twitter feed as my notebook, and I I need to start doing that more. Yeah, they had that bookmarks feature, which I always forget right. about. But yeah, me too. But I mean, it's I, I guess like you past few years you've been doing this, like you built enough credibility to where like no one's going to try to like call you out on just bullshitting. And well, I, and but that's a that's a blessing and a curse. Don't take anything I say at face value because I right. do misremember things. You know, like right. everybody else, like, no, yeah, no, call me out on my bullshit. I want people to do it. I actually invite it. Even if I get, you know, a little snippy or a little surly or whatever, and I don't know, no, you're wrong. And then I, you know, get, and then I put the hammer down. Like, you know, I don't care. Like, it's not, you know, I, I, I have been accused once or twice of having a big ego. Like, I'm not going to like shy away from that. Right? But, yeah. but at the same time, I'm also, if I'm wrong, I'll own it. And I have, you know, been wrong about things in the past and you know, I'll, I'll be wrong in, in the future and we'll just move on with our lives because we're the work we all do is, is, you know, is connecting dots, but trying to do so. What I argue for all the time is to try and if you're going to connect dots, connect dots, but then always marry those with the incentives and of the people and that, you know, that are involved and then also marry that with um, their past behavior. And this is part of the reason why I have a real problem with people who cannot accept the fact that Powell is, you know, not some big shit globalist. Like, 
even his tenure at the Federal Reserve, most people don't even know who Powell is. And they just assume that he's always been a part of the clubs. Or you're like, well, he worked for Carlisle, and therefore... He met with Fink like five times. Uh, they did deals. No, like, yeah, that, 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 that kind of analysis. I'm like, yeah, but who was in charge in that meeting? Right? Who was in charge in that meeting? Fink? Or was it Powell? All the data that we've seen since then looks to me like it's Powell. And things change. And, you know, things that happened 20 years ago don't necessarily, you know, damning people. This is the problem with the Internet being forever, with, you know, being forever. You can always concoct an argument based on something that happened in the before time. And then not allow for people to ever change or, you know, have a falling out or have new, you know, new data for them comes to light and they change their behavior. Like, you know, we are all assuming that they all know everything and we don't know nothing. That's not true. You think Jerome Powell knows everything? I mean, Daniel Martino Booth's been out there for, for weeks now saying, look, you know, when he first took over or, you know, when he first took over the, uh, and coming out of COVID, the, uh, his staff misled him about what to do. And then he went out there with the bad data that they had constructed, that they had, that they had put together. And she impli- heavily implies by saying this, that they're clearly working for other, at other purposes. If you listen to her carefully, at least that's what I take. Whether I'm, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into to, to, uh, to Daniel's statements. And that's on me. Um, but, you know, that, you know, Powell's going out there with egg on his face. And he's like, that's never going to happen again. I ain't listening to you people anymore. I'm doing what I want. And even if she's only 75% correct about her interpretation of Powell's behavior, she knows Powell better than I do. She's met the man. So, you know, what do you guys say? Well, tying this back to incentives of like who done it and why, uh, let, let's take this back to, to Tether. So that Revolver article was great and it basically lays out that in it's interesting because like fed and just how much influence in Italy and the founders of tether are Italian. So that's like another mm-hmm. conversation, but oh, the- I didn't, I, I didn't even, I, I, okay. That's something I didn't even really pick up on. I, I was reading you, that. Revolver. You read the article, right? I did read the article, but I, I think I got, I think I got about two thirds or three quarters. All of the, the sea levels are Italian, like Paolo. Like oh, okay. They're all Italian. Oh, that, that makes sense. So, but regardless reading that is just like, okay, Tether's been used like by the feds to to fund ISIS, whatever the case might be. Right. But, that part of it, I absolutely right. Okay. Question is, when does the the exchange of power happen to where the Fed says, okay, we're in charge of Tether now and we're gonna coordinate with China to take out FTX? If that is what happened. If that's what, what happens, this, so, I mean, this is a reminder, everybody. There was a big article uh, written by uh, Darren Beatty, which he then presented on Steve Bannon's podcast. And that's where I saw him talking about it. So he's already, his analysis is already tainted because it's tainted with the stink of Steve Bannon, right? Um, said, you know, that Tether is being protected for some reason, that the Tether is hinky and Blah, 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 blah. And it's been used for a variety of these, you know, to fund black, uh, black ops projects with the CIA and this. And that. It's, the, it's the currency of choice. Tether is the currency of choice of ISIS, the Rohingyas, or however you say that, in, in, uh, in uh, Myanmar. 
and you know uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda and, and and even the Ukrainians to a lesser extent. Like that's their that's how they take payment. So clearly, Tether was being positioned at some point to be some kind of of a money laundering operation um, through Bitcoin and through crypto to get these guys paid and you know get them to do their to do their nefarious stuff. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't. I, I doubt it was actually done with Bitcoin. I think it was probably done with Monero or some right. other uh, privacy yeah. coin. Because come on, let's you know what am I twelve? Like you know the Bitcoin blockchain is open is is open, you know. Um, so the big question is is not whether Tether is compromised and whether it's a Ponzi scheme or it's this or it's that or anything else. It's a couple of questions that I have to ask everybody. Why did Letitia James, the Attorney General for the Southern District of New York, let Tether off in December of 2020? With a sl- or 2019 or whatever it was, with a slap on the wrist, where all they had to do was issue their own non-IFRS international financial uh, recording IFRS, the accounting standards for the entire world, a non-IFRS compliant um, financial statement every quarter, just a basically a you know report whatever you know, just report some stuff. You know, I- I've seen more complete financial statements out of Vietnamese $3 million Vietnamese small caps than I've seen out of Tether, which is a 60, supposedly a $67 billion business. Right? Now, this happens in the Southern District of New York, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Federal Reserve and the New York Money Center banks. Didn't happen in Obama's backyard in Chicago. Didn't happen in San Francisco. Didn't happen anywhere else. Didn't happen in you know the EU. Happened there. Well, Letitia James is a Democrat. She's you know, and she's been going after Trump, and she's a compromised figure, and blah 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 blah. Sure, but this is a big one when it comes to all things financial. Stuff like this goes through J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and all of those guys. Was that the moment when? Tether was taken over because just, just a little backtrack. She was suing commercial banks for doing business with Tether. That, mm-hmm. That's where this comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Commence. So that's fine. No, I, that's, 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 that's important. But the, just the big, just the big picture here, right. Is. If FTX and all of crypto, including Ethereum, by the way, was a big old Davos project to suck money out of traditional finance and into the crypto space that they could control, and then they can then create an entirely new parallel monetary system based effectively as a prototype for central bank digital currency run world. And just another node on the CBDC, you know, gravy train that they were erecting or found a node on that network that they were creating through the Bank of International Settlements and all the rest of the UN and all the rest of it. If that's the case, the goal was to delegitimize Bitcoin and to take the liquidity that exists within the crypto space, which is really a derivative of the Bitcoin liquidity. That's the point that Dexter White makes all the time. That at the end of the day, people still want the cash. And 
the amount of liquidity that exists in Bitcoin and the, the ability of Bitcoin to be levered up as a foundational asset within this new extras pyramid of, you know, of, of Ponzi schemes, right, based on the foundational asset. Because extras pyramid of, mon of a monetary system is literally just a, the, the discussion of a Ponzi scheme where you got gold at the bottom or you have a foundational asset at the bottom and everything else is basically just fucking, you know, you know rehypothecated garbage. Um, then if that's the case, then, and Bitcoin is an asset that is like kryptonite or the Achilles heel, like gold is, to the planned digitization of all assets and the total surveillance state, the minority report, but just with more fucking Germans that they're building, right? That system. And Bitcoin's kryptonite to that. Then Bitcoin liquidity needs to be protected. Otherwise, Bitcoin doesn't trade against anything. Uh, are you arguing that the only liquidity in Bitcoin is coming from Tether? Yes. Interesting. Because trading it against Monero is not a market. Trading it against Pirate Chain or Avalanche or anything, it's not a, those aren't markets. The market... Bitcoin's rise in price is directly tied to the expansion of Tether. We all know this. It's all been out there multiple times. And yeah, when you're arguing about Tether in 2017, sure, I could make the argument that Tether was, you know, run by a bunch of globalist shitbags that were, you know, just trying to, you know, lever up the Ponzi and, you know, have and, and have their way with it. So sorry if you already said this, but when did that exchange of power come in to where like globalists aren't in charge of Tether, now it's the banks? And why are the banks using that? I don't know, Phil, but all I'm going to say <laughs> is this. I think it goes back. I, I've laid the groundwork to say I think it happened during the settlement phase with Letitia James in the Southern District of New York. It makes sense at that point. You now right. legitimize Tether. It's gone through the courts. It's been sued. It's now settled. It's been legitimized. And like everything else, once you get to that moment, like, guys, you want to stay in power? You want to still keep running Tether? We want you to stay, keep running Tether. But you're going to issue bullshit financial reports to say that you're, that you're um, liquid. And then we're going to back you with U.S. Treasuries, But we can't do it directly. If we're the Fed, the last thing the Fed can be seen doing is backing Tether and crypto. But if we're talking about a shrinkage of the offshore dollar markets, we're talking about the Fed getting domestic control over the dollar, how better, what better way to do that than to tie, on, to tie all forms of dollar creation to foundational assets like gold, like Bitcoin, especially in the context of massive de-dollarization that's happening all around the world. Now, the world is still biblically short dollars, but, you know, two years from now, it'll be less biblically short dollars. Just like today, it's less biblically short dollars than it was in 2020 and 2019. It's a process. It's a series of compressions and rarefactions. It's a series of waves. We Dollar liquidity flows in and then out, but eventually the pool of offshore dollar liquidity is being drained.
Okay. Yeah. Don't think of it as a bath. Don't think of it as a bathtub. Think of it as a bathtub with somebody. It's a vacuum. It's a vacuum. There's a the bathtub is draining, but it's draining while somebody is putting water in and creating and then taking water out. And it's less a bathtub that's draining and more of a thing that's being bailed at one end and you know refilled at another end. And it's going back and forth because in order to have a controlled demolition of this thing and not have the the whole you know have it and have if it is a bathtub the the metaphor would be you need to drain that market slowly so that the bathtub doesn't crack and then flood the entire house and then break the entire you know break the entire i'm sure there's a better metaphor than this but i'm just like but keynesians like to use the bathtub economy so that's why that's why that metaphor came into my head but that you if you're going to do a controlled demolition of this offshore market you want to do as much you want to do as little damage as possible while while still affecting the same thing and at the end of the day the Fed knows that it has to sop up a lot of these offshore dollars, real dollars, not the credit dollars. Credit dollars are easy to destroy. To destroy. You just let asset prices fall and everybody go bankrupt and they all start like, you know, and then a lot of people are, are you know, lose their ass. We don't give a shit if George Soros loses his ass over Evergrande in China. We don't give a shit if he lost, if, you know, somebody else, you know, tied to, to Soros lost $50 million in, in FTX. We don't give a fuck about this. What we care about is whether or not J.P. Morgan balance sheet gets fucking you know cornholed, and then you know we have a systemic problem here in the United States. That's what we care about, right? We don't want the G.Sibs. We want if we're going to have a, a controlled demolition of the G.Sibs who were friggin' um, levered to the tits. Well, we got to unwind those by degrees, and we got to unwind it slowly. And it's going to look at times like there's contradictory behavior coming from these people because not everything is a goddamn step function. Not everything is a fucking line. These are functions with multiple, you know, a line goes in one direction with one slope. And what everybody wants is a nice simple line with a linear with a linear outcome. We started here, we're going to end here, but it doesn't look like that. It looks like a downward sloping, you know, it's a, it's a 12 variable equation. There's 50. So at minimum, there's going to be, you know, however many, you know, nodes and twists and turns in this thing that are going to happen. And you just have to realize that the trend is your friend, but, and the trend is in the one direction, but it's going to go and it's going to, you know, it's going to do its thing. It's going to be a little bit of back and forth as this happens, as each individual thing, each individual thing breaks and then a fire has to, and then the fire that it creates has to be stamped out. And that may require some liquidity, require a fire hose, and then we go to the next one. So, I think that if Ted, that if Bitcoin is an asset for the Fed as a strategic asset for the Fed to unfuck the dollar markets, then Bitcoin has to have something to trade against that's liquid and frankly auditable. And as Chris Sullivan pointed out in the podcast that just published. It's real technology. It's a real blockchain. It's not bullshit like FTX was, like FTT code token and all these other ones. Those are all bullshit. It's a real blockchain with real settlement and real, you know, and real, you know, um, and and you know, real confirmations. All the rest. tether's real. It's not a fucking fiction. Unlike a lot of the other friggin' shit coins. And so I'm not saying that it's not a shit coin, but I'm saying it's a. Sh- Shitcoin with strategic value. 
for the people that are clearly operating in their best interests to protect themselves while this whole thing blows up. And so because there's too much smoke. There's too much fire about Bitcoin mining as a big thing that Wall Street wants to invest in and wants to send, wants to be able to sell bonds against. Because it's one of the best bond generators on the freaking market in, in, in the world. You know, you want bond returns. Bitcoin mining, it's a pretty good bond return. In a world with, you know, no fucking yield. And a yield, it's it's yield in, in in its way, it's a it's yield in a yield-free world. On uh, and it's yield, or previously yield-free world. It's yield that is based on real work that's already been done. And is work that people want done. Because people want what Bitcoin offers. They want trust. We need a bond. We need collateral for trust. As Chris Sullivan pointed out to me the other we need collateral for trust to be rebuilt. The whole system has no trust in it. Politically, legally, culturally, spiritually, morally, monetarily, militarily, interpersonally, on all these vectors, there's no trust. What's the one thing that has trust? Two things. Gold? Well, three things. Gold, oil, Bitcoin. Gold, goats, guns. Yeah, it's crazy. So just to sum that up, by ex- by the Fed extending the life of Tether, that helps prop up the value of Bitcoin and any crypto dollars or even offshore dollars that go into crypto, that is basically like a black hole vacuum that sucks in those offshore dollars and it all just like basically gets and, and if you do away, if you just do away with all the leverage within that system and you just yeah. have Bitcoin, we're back to Bitcoin and the proof of work coins and a couple of platform coins. Yeah, right. we, need, like, we need shit like Ethereum and or Avalanche or whatever. You pick your poison as to which one of those you think is any good. Like for doing, you know, for doing some of this, the, some of this work. I think this, I think some of that stuff still has value. But we got to get back to, you know, we got to get back to getting rid of all of the ridiculous leverage. Yeah. That and this was goes built back. Up, that was it, built up in order to create the fiction that we don't need anything more to reality. Yeah, and it goes back to this is working beautifully with the Fed raising rates because you're getting rid of all the leverage. Right. right. And you're getting rid of you're getting rid of leverage in the real credit dollar markets and the fake magic bean based dollar markets. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is great. So I mean, we can almost like wrap it up here because last couple sure. of things I want to talk about is, you know, why you mentioned like no more king dollar and Powell saying that there's plenty of room for more than one world reserve currency. I want to get into like why and Travis dilemma and all that, uh, where, you know, the extension of tether still is kind of like extending the lifespan of like global dominance. And then I want to also wrap it up with how can America fix this mess and fully declare its independence. And whenever I bring up to like Bitcoin max, he's like, yeah, gold's still a thing. And I basically pitch, what you say, the whole Judy Shelton thing about the treasuries. So let's just like typo into all this with, with yeah, well, the Bitcoin maxis are just, are just really just fundamentalists at this point. They're no different than the gold only maxis like, uh, like Peter Schiff. Like I, I'm just done with all of that. So yeah, we only have uh, a few minutes before the zoom meeting dies again. Yeah. So, um, the, we are declaring independence. The declaration of independence has already been stated. 
SOFR will go into effect and become the debt indexing rate for the United States on January 1st, 2022. It already happened. We're now dealing with the falloff. It's already here. The, our, our, you know, the vamping that we've done about the potential for SOFR driving a re-regionalization of rates indemnifies or insulates or, or, or yeah, indemnifies um, the U.S. regional money market funds, our money markets, uh, against uh, a potential political breakout. Davos is not going to go, up without, go, go away without a fight. They're going to try and in, engender World War III. They're going to try and in, invoke World War III next year in, in, a, in a real sense, not in this kind of you know, sloppy bar fight between angry slobs that we've got in Ukraine now. Um, and um, that means that they're going to press their political advantages as, such as they still are as much as they can and coming into the 2024 election, without a doubt. And what you want is the beginnings of the return of community, uh, the return of the centrality of community banking for producing, um, for handling wealth, you know, for handling capital formation and capital appreciation. We don't have that. We don't have any of that in place. We don't even have the, we still have it in place here in the United States. What we need is you know the mechanisms which strengthen that to be you know in place and effectively the law of the land you know and and i and i mean law in a very loose sense of this because the law of the land could change if the whole of the middle of the country has to secede from you know davos controlled left coast and uh and 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 right coast right that something has to change here we we already know that the bank that the canadian banks have have um, declared independence. We also know, having, ta- having talked to some people, you know, um, some, some people about this, that I know that there are banks within the city of London that are really angry about this and are not on the, the, the Davos agenda. And that everybody's being strong on into submission because that's all Klaus Schwab and company know how to do. They only know how to strong on people because we're all just a goddamn help anyway. You know, I mean, we may be Anglos, we may, be, we, we may have white skin, but I got news for you. We're just as brown to them as the people that the brown people they've been bombing for the last 150 freaking years. Like, as far as they're concerned, they don't, they just, you know, we're in, we, we don't matter. That's why they injected us with all their poison, or the, many of us with their poison. We're tax but, cattle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just think that, you know, all these things are right there, and Bitcoin's going to play a role in this. The Fed, at some point, if they are able, to restore the confidence of the markets. And we'll know that at some point. We'll know that when the, when the markets finally stop reacting the way they have to every little moment of perceived dovishness from Powell as some kind of, oh my God, happy days are here again, blue light special and all the things, we should buy them all. When we don't have those reactions to the Fed that way, we'll know that we've reached the next stage of this thing. We had one in July. We've had one now in late November, early December. What happens in the next one's likely in March because the Fed always does something around March to screw the gold market because gold invariably has a good Q1, which then gets the kibosh put on it by the Fed in, or at the March meeting, almost always. But that was under Yellen that was that way. And it's not necessarily been that way under Powell, but it's the way the market's structured. 
So because Davos still has so much sway over the gold markets that you know gold gets crushed in the summer, and that's just gold seasonality has been that way. So it's always interesting now to see how these things play out. Okay. So I mean I don't know I I, I think that whether or not we the U.S. makes it to the moment where they can do the fiscal, um, you know, two-step to use the treasury gold, throw down on the yield curve to, you know, pay down to, 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 to keep alive the, the, to get the fiscal thing under control. Because that would raise credibility and all capital from the world would come to yeah, and, and, yeah, and buy and, treasuries. Yeah, that would help. But again, the political instability is so large and the, and it's so very clear that we have such, you know, unbelievable traders running the country. Traitors. Traitors with a T with a A I you know, A I T, not A D R. Or A or A D E, right? Um you know, when you think about it, that's that's why this FDX thing is so interesting. That's why that that's why the head of the Washington office of the FBI retiring. Is so interesting. Now we're looking at signposts as to whether or not the counter revolution is gathering steam and getting rid of some of the permanent bureaucracy that has tyrannized us. Europe is hopeless. There's nothing coming. There are no signs coming out of Europe. Okay. There's no hope coming. There's no help coming from Europe. Even Maloney in Italy and Orban in Hungary are not enough. And until the U.S. is stable, Italy will not be able to give us a hand in Europe. So the next year is going to be very interesting. And I don't, I don't, and I don't have a good answer as to where we, what's, what's going to happen next. My, you know, I, I'd like to hope that things are better than they are, but the reality is, is that things are really bad. And I fully expect there to be an escalation, um, in terms of kinetic warfare in 2023. Because that's their next play. And every time they lose, they just try and ratchet things up to another level of war. And until traders start going to jail, T-R-A-I-T-O-R-S, not traders, not financial traders, until they start going to jail, shit's not accelerating. It's moving at too slow a pace. Okay? So... You know, Powell may be in a Chinese finger trap as well, but he's done an awful lot of good work. And we may not be able to stave off the dissolution of the fifth state compact, but we could be set up in such a way that, you know, regionally, some things look, you know, some places fare better than others. So that's what we have to, we have to bracket for all of this stuff. And that's what I'm, that's where my head is, you know, Three weeks before Christmas. Oh, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Hopefully get the uh, counter-revolution as a Christmas present. But yeah, that's, I think, what this whole conversation has been, just getting into the details of that counter-revolution, the evolution of it, and what it's going to look mm-hmm. like to the next year and uh, for the rest of the days of America as it stands. So, And I, you know, I, don't, I don't relish any of this. I'd like the United States. I think the United States is too big. Too big. I've always said this. Hardcore libertarian, I think, you know, it's too centralized, it's too big, it's too corrupt, it's too this, it's too that. But I don't want it to fail on their terms, on China's terms or on 
Europe's terms. I don't want it to fail on the commies' terms. I want it to fail properly in our best interest as and in humanity's best interest. Because in their terms, it's not in humanity's best interest. Agreed. Tom, they probably all know, but where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at my blog at tomlawongo.me. You can find me on Twitter at TFL1728. Uh, you can find me on Patreon, Patreon slash Guns. And you can you know join Phil and others who are patrons and you know add to the conversation and not just add to the conversation, but you know, really help all of us, you know, curate the good information and the wheat from the chaff. And that's kind of what we do as a community. And I'm really proud of it. So really proud of it. Yeah, it is surely an autism den of pure signal. And we're all <laughs> just saying the quiet parts out loud as loud as we can and trying to make sense of the world. Yep. Great. Awesome. It's been great catching up with you. Yeah, likewise. Do it again. All right, man. Peace. Peace. Cupol Podcast is brought to you by the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet by ShiftCrypto.ch. If you want to save your skin and get your coins off the exchange and not suffer as many others have as these crypto exchanges are blowing up and people are losing their Bitcoin, then be wise and get yourself a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Secure your own keys on your signing device. Use the code BMS get 5% off on all Shift Crypto products. And if you're tired of hearing these ads, you can head on over to qpaul.substack.com to listen to my podcast ad-free. Thank you.